0: Jeff, it's Travis. We're back. Uh, Baylor's playing in Arlington this week. Great game against Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game. I don't know that any I, – I know that either of us didn't expect this this year. Uh, how did no. this happen?
1: Um, that's a very, very – that's probably a whole podcast in itself. Um, it mm-hmm. happened because for – it happened for a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, to get into it quickly, like I, they're a good team on both sides of the ball. And – They made, they were, they were. They're a little bit better defensively this year than they were last year. I think, Um, probably actually more than a little bit. They're probably significantly better. But
0: um, definitely,
1: the. um, But they're also, you know, miles and miles better offensively. They're a very well balanced unit, and I did not, I didn't see an offensive performance this good uh, coming when I looked at them. You know, in the offseason, I, I just didn't think that we would see this. I actually thought we would see a better version of kind of what Oklahoma State is, uh, to be honest, where it was a very high-end defense and um, an average to mediocre offense. And that just – Baylor's offense has been better than that.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting because this, this title game is kind of a matchup between two teams who – I think are very kind of similarly. I don't know if "similarly constructive" is the right word, but it's interesting that I think both coaching staffs are really, you know, in a year where I and you know Iowa State, OU, Texas, all were favored above them entering the year, uh, and have probably had you know "quote unquote" better rosters in many respects they just weren't maximized. Um, And I think what we have in Oklahoma state and Baylor is two teams where the coaching staff is really maximizing the potential of their roster. I think with Baylor, you might, we would expect to see a better offense next year with it just being year two, but with it being year one in an offense, I don't know that a coaching staff could do any better with the talent that Baylor has offensively this year. Uh, obviously we know what they're doing defensively and then uh, we've mentioned before how we think Gundy is really just I, I don't think you could get a better performance out of that team out of that roster than what Gundy has done this year
1: no and the 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 coaching awards came out uh or the big 12 honors came out today and uh Gundy I believe won coach of the year and I that that would be my vote I mean I love Dave Miranda but this is What they've gotten done up in Oklahoma State, the way he's kept those seniors engaged. I mean, they've got like a ton of that defense coming back next year. I mean, he is again. We you know, we a theme in this podcast has always been to talk about the organizational aspect of football. Um, I'm really struck by uh, in the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game in Bedlam deering as crazy as it was looking down and Gundy looking like so calm and collected and like letting letting the offensive you know, letting the offensive coordinator run the offense. He's giving you know, he's talking through it over the phone uh, over the headset, but he's not his he's not the I'm a man, I'm forty guy that we knew of from twelve years ago. I mean he's he's definitely I don't know if mellow is the right word and matured into it, but, you know, you, when you look over and see that beautiful main, like, he's clearly in control of that program, he's clearly the head of that organization, and he's done a remarkable job up there.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's something that you've seen with him for probably the past five years or so. It seems like he's really comfortable in the state of where they are as a program. Like, he understands they're not an elite program, and he understands that they're probably not going to be in the title game every year, but he understands that when they have their their opportunities, he's going to give them their best shot. Yeah. I think um, that's a great way it, to phrase it. It, it. It's kind of like, I remember when Derek Mason, who was the head coach at Vandy was, was dealing with some job. I like, I think it was either last year, or the year before and people, and he was just like, a lot of people think they can do this job, but you know, I'm the man for it. And I don't think that's directly applicable to Gundy, but I think he feels super comfortable and like, Hey, maybe a lot of fans and a lot of boosters and everyone else thinks that, this this Oklahoma State program should be winning the Big 12 every year and competing for national championships all the time. But I understand that that's not realistic, and that doesn't mean that I'm going to forfeit every game. It just means that like I understand what needs to happen to win, and it seems like he just has a really good realistic grasp on the program, and I think it's really set them up forward well for you know what Oklahoma State and Baylor and potentially TCU and other programs are looking at when this new Big 12 forms when it does become slightly more realistic for them to really be competing every year in year and out.
1: Yeah. I, I I agree with all that.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, what I'm looking really looking forward to in this game. And of course we're going to really, really deep dive into it is like my favorite football games I've ever been to are two teams where it's like, it feels like every inch is just on the line because they're so evenly matched. They're playing well. And as you know, as we know, like, Moving the ball offensively obviously requires good execution offensively, but it often, for big plays, for anything kind of more than seven yards, you're really requiring a defensive mistake of some sort or the other. And this is a game where I just don't think there's going to be very many defensive mistakes. So I think it's going to be a situation where Baylor gets five yards on first down, and you're just like – you're at the top of the roller coaster and then the next play, it goes to zero down, uh, zero yards and you're at the bottom of the roller coaster. And I think it's going to be kind of that way for both teams where every, every inch is being fought over.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, I, that's probably a pretty good description of the game. I think it's going to be, you know, first impressions is it's going to be relatively low scoring. Uh, I think, um, you know, as I look, as I looked, as i watched some Oklahoma state, i have rewatched the Oklahoma state game, the Baylor Oklahoma state game a few times. And as I've watched, uh, rewatch bedlam as well um I, the vibe i really get is something that i i think is probably very uh kansas state like cross between kansas and kansas state and oklahoma where it's just you know you look up and it's it's the five minute mark of the third quarter and it's 13 to 10 like that feels what this type of game is going to be like um barring really really barring a um really tragic turnover, kind of like the the Bedlam turnover fest where you're getting safeties and fumbles into the end zone all sorts right. of shenanigans. Like, that's obviously going to blow the score up by possessions. But, you know, assuming that assuming that, that stuff gets skipped, uh, this this really does feel like a game where starting into the fourth quarter, it's like 16-3. to And yeah, I it's think the Kansas very close. Yeah.
0: I think the Kansas State comparison is apt because in many ways, I think Baylor's performance at Can- against Kansas State was – arguably their best performance of the year I know it like flashy wise and stat wise it may not have looked that way but neither of those teams were making any mistakes in that game I mean Baylor had a fumble I mean stuff like that's going to happen but when you look at a down-to-down basis and there's 22 guys on the field I would say in your average upper tier college football game when there's 22 guys in the field at least four or five of them are making pretty big mistakes on almost every play of differing, differing degrees. Right. I don't know if you would agree with that assessment fully, but somewhere in there, right?
1: I, I would, but by, by this point of the year, depending on what you're doing, you, you know, maybe you've got no mistakes in, in a particular play, but usually it's like one to two and particularly early in the season. It's like, again, five to six, like you said, and that number kind of go, just goes down over the course of the season. But um, I, I think you're right. hundred percent right on the Kansas state game. I, if, Before before Bohannon went down, you know that was that that stretch, particularly in the second quarter, that was the best they played all year. And I don't, I was not expecting them to play better than they were against, uh, or that they did against um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Then they did against Oklahoma, and um, I was I was shocked. I mean, that was a real, that was a big that was a big, as, as a random, I to say, as a culture win. Um, I agree with you. I just, the only reason that that game was as close as it was was because GB went down, but, um, that was, that was the best they played.
0: Well, and, 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 and what I think happened there is, you know, both teams, Baylor and Kansas state in that game were essentially playing near flawless football in the sense that they were both playing as well as they possibly could have, but Baylor is just probably 10 points better or so than Kansas state is that year. So by the end of the game, we kind of saw that come to fruition, I think Baylor and Oklahoma State are, you know, Oklahoma State's a a solid margin better than Kansas State this year. So we would expect that if both Baylor and Oklahoma State play to their maximum potential, the game is probably a good deal closer for longer. But obviously we'll get into that some more. Uh, So before we start talking too much about the rematch, um, I wanted to talk about, you know, obviously what went wrong. This game has been played before. Uh, it was ugly for Baylor for a good deal of the game. It was kind of a strange game in the sense of the first half was like a full on flat nothing. Um, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it was something like Baylor had five drives and basically went three and out on four of them or something. like I mean, it was something like that. And then um, in the second half, it seemed like they had like one good drive, one bad drive, one good. It was more uneven, but they were able to get some stuff going. Um, but overall, I know you've watched this game several times as have I, I want to hear our kind of, um, compare our thoughts of what we think went wrong in the first game, what we think we can take away as far as what they need to avoid and what they did well. And, you know, basically takeaways of, of, of what we learned that needs to be applied to this, uh, this rematch. So I'll
1: start defensively cause that was, that's where I really focused at first, um, I think defensively what – so a lot of stuff went right. Um, What didn't necessarily go right? They were – well, I guess three things. The first one would be Bernard was injured. Um, That was really evident showing up. Uh, Bernard did not play. They had – Jones was at the will, and then Jones had that extremely unfortunate um, uh, personal foul – yeah, personal foul call where he was not allowed to finish the game from Dave Aranda. Uh, Williams played a bunch in this game. He was pretty – he's extreme. Williams is extremely fast and extremely young. That's probably the best way to describe him, but he's got a good future. Um, so that's Bernard. And it's worth
0: me pointing out that real quick, Jeff, like both those guys that were playing for Bernard aren't really playing anymore. I mean, Jones is playing at Jack, but so they basically had two guys playing in a position where neither of them are playing anymore.
1: Yeah. And so that's, that's a significant thing. A Baylor, um, Baylor really sat in a lot of too high in this game, which I was not expecting because Oklahoma State is so run-heavy. Um, Baylor decided very early on that they were going to sit in too high, and basically it's a, they ran a very similar game plan, I think, to what they ran against Oklahoma, to be honest. Uh, they ran a play that is called tight four. It's also called Tulsa, um, but it's basically a tight front um, and then quarters behind it, and that is... You know, I, I was not expecting that when I turned on the tape and really kind of did a deep dive into it. But that's really what they were saying, and that's a very conservative uh, play call. Um,
0: yeah, and it's because not essentially what you're what you're what you're doing there defensively is you're saying we're not going to gap out on early downs, so we're yeah. not going to load up to stop the run. What we're hoping is that our three defensive linemen that are in that tight front, which is two two defensive ends inside the shoulder of the offensive tackles, and then a true nose we're hoping those guys can plug things up long enough and the linebackers can play well enough to where they can hold up, uh, and survive against the run essentially. And so that's why it's kind of a conservative thing. You're saying like, look, we might give you a four yard run on first down, but we don't think you're going to be able to do it all game.
1: Yeah. And that's a great way that is hundred percent true. Um, the other thing that really stood out in this game was the defensive tackle rotation. Um, Baylor is much better at defensive tackle now than they were, I guess, two months ago at this point. Um, they are—they're just a lot better. Um, that really—that really showed on the tape. Um, I don't know how much of it is, you know, strength or technique-wise. I'm, I'm sure it's a, It's a lot of both for a bunch of guys. Uh, conditioning, I think, is also much improved at this point, and so you know, you can see it from how high some of the pad level was on some guys, particularly Gabe Hall. But uh, a thing on Gabe Hall, that was really interesting was this was the first game that I remember him really kind of starting to flash and you could see it. Game this sure. is bringing And he, you know, he, he played extremely well, not extremely well. He played really well against their offensive tackles. Um, he, he won matchups consistently against both the right, uh, right tackle and the um, left tackle. So um, getting back defensively though, on that, like that's kind of where, that's kind of where we're sitting at right now is they, they, you know, they, they tried to do a lot of that. They Their defensive line was not as good as it needed to be in that game. And so those, going back to you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, you, you get these like, we're going to give you the four-yard runs. We don't think you can do it consistently. The defensive line play was not good enough. And so instead of that four, we don't think you can do it consistently, it was six and yeah. um six and four like four if everything goes right six on a normal play i don't think that that's repeatable at this point i think the run defense is going to be a lot better um and i'd be very surprised if they got the similar rushing performance but defensively that's the that's the most important thing um in the past game they i mean they didn't really do a lot in this game i mean he he threw sanders threw three picks two of which were truly horrendous interceptions um the third was probably not a, a great ball, but it was um, it was tipped up, and then Doyle had an easy pick once once it was up in the air. But, I mean, he he really did not do a great job of reading the uh, pass coverage or uh, reading those zone drops um, two months ago. And so there's not – I don't think that there's – my gut feeling is that they are probably going to look at this and go, I actually think the game plan was pretty decent. Now, there, there are a few wrinkles that we're going to need to be aware of when we can talk about those later, but – you know I think the game plan was pretty decent they just didn't particularly play as well as they needed to and the question really is can they can you know can the guys that they've got on the field just execute better than they did 2 months ago
0: yeah one thing i was surprised about watching this game was i knew that Baylor's defensive line wasn't playing as well back then as they are now so i kind of expected to see that i was really surprised to see how poor Oklahoma state's offensive line play was I knew they're not a great unit um, I mean they really got abused by Oklahoma last week um, and you could tell that Gundy and their staff knew it wasn't a good matchup because they actually I would be surprised if they ran more than 15 true running plays that game just just straight up just wide zone or, or their inside zone or their different schemes they use um, so I, that that unit hasn't been great but It looked watching again to me like if Baylor's defensive line can play like they did against Texas or against Oklahoma or against Kansas State, essentially what I'm saying here is not Texas Tech. (laughs) Um, This should be a game where Oklahoma State really struggles to get past like 60 yards rushing, um, which really puts the game on Sanders, who has been much better in the second half of the year, I think. And I think basically all of that has to do with the fact that tay martin is pretty easily one of the two or three best wide receivers in the big 12 at this point um but still it's sanders throwing the ball so if if you've got a running back who's struggling to get 60 yards um and you're relying on Sanders to throw the ball 25 30 times you've got to feel good about where you're at and we can talk more about that in the um when we pre- preview that game but anything else um i guess if you want to switch to the other side of the ball um for baylor's offense from what you noticed from the recap
1: um, Baylor really struggled. Baylor, Baylor's guards really struggled in this game. Um, I think that's that's probably not going to surprise anybody if you go back and look. Um, they really struggled to cut off. You know, in, in that zone, a lot of times you're you're having to get across. I'm doing it with my hands, but you're trying to get across. The guy is not lined up directly across where you. usually gap over um, a lot of times. So if you're at the guard, he's like between the guy you've got to block is between uh, the guard and the center. Okay,
0: for those. Yeah, of, so know, if like you're the right guard, it's like the guys lined up like essentially on the inside of your left shoulder. So he's beaten you by about two feet off the snap already. So it's a struggle to get there.
1: Yeah. And so they really struggled to cut off those interior penetration, uh, those inter- those interior rushes. Um, uh, they had a significant amount of their wide zone just got blown up because – they couldn't handle those two interior they couldn't handle the two interior defensive tackles and on a play in play out basis, those guys just were the reps. Um, they got away from that in the second half a little bit. They started running some more I, I don't think they ran any traps or whams, but they started that they, they 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 basically started trying to instead of trying to cut back they would block back with the center in a few cases and just have the guards immediately climb. Um, that they did that on on uh, Abrams' huge second and fifteen run for those that remember yeah. this. Um, that was a that's that was a play that they really started to do. And once they start they did that a few times. Um, Oklahoma State actually started keeping their safeties back a little and they started keeping their guys from crashing down and that wide zone was there. Um, so. They, uh, that, that was really an issue It getting, but sorry, I, that was a bit of a ramble, but getting back to like why they struggled in the first half, the guards guard play was not great. And it just, it, you know, it's, it happens to everybody, but that's just kind of what it was. Um, there were some misreads by, um, a couple of running backs, I think as well. I just think everyone kind of played poorly and there's really no other way to put that. I just think they came out flat and they didn't, you know, they didn't hit very hard from, uh, you know off the line they weren't they weren't playing with the same energy they were in the second half and that just it, it kind of snowballed in the beginning um in the second half though they they really did some real they did some really good things um a thing that i didn't realize at the time that i was able to see is i thought that i thought that gb played a better game in the second half now of course we have no no idea if he's going to go and based off my little knowledge of hamstrings i it seems unlikely, but he played better in the second half than I remember him playing. You know, they they gave up. A, he had a lot of quick pressures at his feet, and that's very difficult to deal with if you're a quarterback. So he was put in some really rough spots, but he still was able to deliver a few really good balls, uh, some important balls as well. And you know, between that and then being able to get the run game going just even a little bit, they were really kind of able to. Um, they were really kind of able to move the ball better. One thing they did do as well, a little bit more in the second half, it's hard to tell from this from um, the broadcast tape. So I'm going to say I think this happened, but I don't know that this happened. It seemed like they got their splits a little uh, closer together for the offensive lineman. So the Jeff Grimes scheme, actually, it's not, not, you know... um, it's not the air raid where, like, the guys, like, have, you know, 30 feet between each offensive lineman, <laughs> uh, which is really what it seems like. If you've ever seen a a Mike Leach offense from the end zone, it looks like you could drive a car between every single one of the offensive linemen. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, but the uh, their splits are not that wide, but their splits are wider than um, – most most outside zone teams do uh, do um, what they have been able to do. What one of the things they did in the second half was they shortened those splits up, and so they made the angles a lot better for the guards on those get off blocks. Now that makes it a little bit more difficult to tr- run true wide zone because. For a lot of reasons, the angles on a compressed offensive line are a lot more difficult than on a wider offensive line. There's also some other reasons as well, but it made it more difficult to run those, but it also made it a lot easier for them to run stuff inside. And so instead of a case where, you know, they would try to get outside and they can't get the ball down and it's like a three-yard loss, instead of a consistent three-yard loss like they were having in the first half, they were able to kind of get consistent three to five yards, which against this defense, that's good enough, you know, to, to, to... to be able to establish that run game, at least. So, um, you know, they, they, they did that and, you know, the offense never exactly clicked in this game. Um, they, you know, they had a big play on a fourth and one where their safety took a terrible angle and they had everything blocked up and the safety just guessed wrong and jumped into a, uh, jumped into a wrong gap. And that was that. Um, so, um, You know they didn't. They never really. They never really played well. And I think if you listen to a random post game in that, um, he was kind of very. um, He was kind of very honest. Like, yeah, we didn't play well. We did a lot of things poorly. So, um, yeah, I that's that's offensively that that's really what kind of came down to. They had, you know, some really erratic play. I think on the offensive line and just everywhere else, wasn't quite as where it needed to be.
0: I was actually more impressed with the offensive game plan than I, figure would be, than I figured I would be when I rewatched. I thought a lot of the plays were just like a hair's breadth away from really working. Um, obviously, the wide zone run game was never really going to be there with how Baylor's offensive line was just getting destroyed on the line of scrimmage. I mean, no run game is really going to be there in that respect. Uh, um, but there were a lot of plays. Um even the like the sweep game and the and the screen game and obviously the deep balls that just weren't quite connecting and Grimes had drawn up uh, drawn 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 up okay drawn uh, <laughs> he had uh, drawn up a couple of good uh, you know the second play of the game or whatever was that deep ball to Estrada which very clear clearly was punishing a version of zone coverage that uh, OSU was running and anyway all that to say that I I liked the game plan I think a lot of it just stemmed from the fact that. Kind of like what you're talking about, um, you know, uh, in the first half when they went three and out like four times or whatever. It's just like there's basically no – there's no rhythm to an offense when you're only running three plays every 15 minutes or whatever it is. You know, it's just – it's it's a nearly impossible both for players and a play caller. I do think this was a very crucial game for the offensive staff and for Grimes as a play caller um, to – I don't want to say learn, like I'm sure he knew this, but I think we talked about at the time, Um, you know, Baylor had been able to really just operate using their fastball the entire opening part of the season where they basically could just run wide zone. They could have two tight ends on the field and then they could run play action and then boot game. Oklahoma State took all that away and they really had to start running to their, you know, to their off speed pitches and you could tell that those plays were in the playbook, but you could also tell when you looked at the players executing them that just like even if they had practiced it 30 times, you know, in fall camp, it's just another thing to do it against a defense that's playing as hard and fast and aggressive. And so, one thing that that gives me confidence for is that when Baylor kind of immediately needs to go to that secondary bag of not tricks, but just, you know, the off speed plays, that I think they're going to be a lot more confident running those from the outset this next time.
1: Yeah, that, I mean that's definitely the hope. I, I you're I think a good example of that would be there was a play, and it's, it was like a second and it's like a second and eight with about four minutes left in the second quarter, and the ball's on the it's uh, Baylor's ball on their own about thirty five, and Grimes had a uh, Grimes had a slant call on against man coverage where he had um, he had uh, a like singled up he was on he, he ran little um eight yard post and I mean they had that play he would probably still be running right now if he'd caught that ball three months like two months later he would still be running like that's how open he was and somebody got to Bohannon's feet which forced him to move a hair and then he threw a ball that was like three inches too far ahead of Taekwon and that was an incomplete pass and so that's it you know Going back to what you said, that's an off-speed pitch that was almost there, but two blown, two pieces of bone execution kept that from being a monster play. You know, back when the game was still seven nothing. Um, so um, that, you know I, that really does sum it up. Like working on those plays, you could see that they're there. The execution just wasn't sharp enough uh, at the time with with those off-speed pitches.
0: Yeah, uh, the pressure at, at at Gary's feet all game is really what to me is the primary kind of question and concern for me in this upcoming game. Um, But one last pit, one last bit from recapping the game. Um, I do think also that, that Grimes uh, learned a valuable lesson in this game about what's coming in this coming game. As far as the, the strategy for Baylor pretty much all year has been on anything that's like third and seven or less, they're very clearly trying to run a play that's like getting four. I mean obviously they, they want to get the first down, but they'll just run wide zone and try and get four or five yards right? That happened probably three or four or five times in the Oklahoma State game, but Oklahoma State game uh, but Oklahoma State gave Baylor no uh, respect to throw the ball on those third and seven. So whereas most defenses play their play their pass coverage units, they bring in their subs to play the pass on third and seven. Oklahoma State treated third and seven like first and ten and or or third and two or third and four or any of these plays where baylor's thinks that they can kind of catch you off guard by running the ball and so i think you might see in this upcoming game say like look we know that oklahoma state is just they know that we're going to use all four downs and so i think you might see some more shots on third and fours and third and threes and third and twos and just say look we'll take two shots instead of running the ball and losing two yards and then maybe having to punt on a fourth and six
1: yeah i think that i think that's accurate yeah
0: Okay, Um, and yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll say before we just uh, jump into this preview is just like I briefly mentioned there, it's just (laughs) their Oklahoma State's defense as far as like their front and their safeties and their linebackers. I mean, it's really kind of honestly unbelievable the 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 way that they're able to combine playing sound, but playing hyper, hyper aggressive. I mean, guys are in the backfield constantly, but there's no open gaps that's what really impressed me, especially when Baylor would try and run their boot plays um, and a lot of their backside stuff. It just seemed like Oklahoma State had somebody in the backfield, but there was no obvious other open gap, which I think is just a massive um, uh, just uh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of the word. Um, it's a it's a credit to Jim Knowles because that is a scheme and, and that's a group of players that just clearly knows what they're doing. And you don't just know what you're doing out of the box. That's great coaching. Um, and that really jumps off the screen when you watch them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to talking about the rematch. Um, <laughs> I'm just tremendously tremendously excited as this, this game, as we've already talked about. Um, which side of the ball do you want to start, start with, Jeff?
1: Let's do offense. Since we were just talking offense, we can roll right back into that so we don't totally disrupt the flow
0: will um, right, we'll roll on in
1: <laughs> so I mean obviously like I think the the the, the biggest question I raise in everybody's mind is is shape and GB um, you know as I watch this more I I think that it's gonna end up mattering less than I thought it did three days ago I think the game plan is probably pretty similar regardless now GB is a better player I'm not Please don't get me wrong on that, but I think that you know in the last few weeks GB's really kind of taken a, taken control of a lot of things with trying to be more aggressive with the run game, with the QB run game. I don't think that that's probably what we're going to see a lot of in this game. Um, you, when you look at what when you look at what's been successful against Oklahoma State in recent um, recent weeks uh, against when they when they've tried to be very aggressive. Um, there's going to be – there would be some QB run, but I think there's less than we would think. So I it's going to matter, but I don't think it's going to be the end-all, be-all. I think, to be honest, Abram Smith has not looked 100% to me for a few weeks. I don't – I'm not reporting anything. I don't know. Um, I just – he clearly – I mean, to me, he pretty clearly looks banged up, particularly when I look at him now versus, like, watching this last Oklahoma State game. I mean, his burst is night and day different. Like, that's a much more significant issue to me than – Uh, QB right now. Um, Is
0: that because when you're saying you're not as expecting a switch QB run and uh, my expectation for that, and I agree with you there is because Oklahoma state plays so hard on the backside edges of their backside players off the front side runs are playing so hard and aggressive that the QB run really wouldn't, they, they already have that accounted for kind of essentially in their gap, in their gap responsibilities. Is that, is that what you're thinking there?
1: Yeah, I, I do think that's, that, that really is a big, a, a big part of it. Um, the other thing is when you're, when you do a lot of QB runs, you're relying on a running back to block. Um, that's a real mixed bag, you know, uh, running backs, God bless them. Um, You know, eat like they're. You know, they're running backs that can make a living just based off pass probability. But most running backs don't want to stick their nose in there and actually like make a good block. Um, And so that's that's really an issue when when you do that. Um, The other reason though is just the it's just schematically like it's kind of the the best way to attack them is to not isn't to try to force that run. I think you want to try to get inside with 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 as much as they're going to want to hammer the edges, as much as they want to bring the safeties down, I think you have to really focus on quick hitters either inside, and then you've got like... quick
0: A-gap runs that you were talking about earlier.
1: Quick, like quick A-gap runs, runs on the interior, like shorten up your splits, get some doubles, and then move off. And then just like if you're, you know, this this team is like very happy sitting with three, four-yard... Runs. That's great. Um, and then be more, I think one of the things they're going to do is they're going to have to be more aggressive on early downs um, in the passing game. That's not play action. Like they're going to need to be able to get into some run looks and then just throw it on some drop back. Um, and I, that, and that to me, to be honest is, is the single biggest issue because if they can't, if they can't keep the safeties from crashing down, which is what they did a lot of And, and, and when you go back and look at it there, they played their cornerbacks back a lot. To, to um you know eight yards off, but their safeties crashed hard. Well, the problem with that is when you when you line up in something like that, the easiest way to attack that is is a quick throw, a quick pass. But if slant, you're doing uh, yeah
0: the, the slant that Taekwon could have taken to the house essentially
1: yeah, but it, when you're doing like so much of Baylor's early down passing game is play action, you know it's not a lot of drop back on early downs, and so you know they were they were able to really kind of eat that up by crashing the safeties and living one on one outside a lot. Um, because there was so much pressure in his face because they kept constantly bringing guys. And so they're going to, like, the, the, in order to counteract, like, the best way to counteract that, honestly, is going to be a drawback passing game out of your run personnel on early downs and it's you know i don't know i, I can't tell you 100 what that would look like there's a ton of different options but the most important thing that they have to do and what really killed them early on is they have to keep those safeties from coming like both safeties coming down like you can't run into a nine-man box like no one can do that okay yeah and if 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 they can't they, they have to be able to figure out how to do that and that kind of not i'm not gonna say short passing game but the drop back on standard downs is is the way to get out of that for sure
0: Yeah. And, you know, not only can basically nobody run against a nine man box, but Baylor's offensive line is already going to struggle with Oklahoma state's defensive front anyway. So the last thing they need is to have to deal with free hitters coming off. And so I think it's interesting that you bring that up as far as drop back passing game from Baylor's bigger sets, uh because one thing that we've seen in the past few weeks with Shapen in the game is i I haven't charted it specifically, but I, I feel pretty confident and I think you agree, like Baylor has run a lot more four and five wide with Shapen in the game um than they did with G B. Now how much of that is specific to what Tech was doing defensively, uh versus what Shapen does well? Obviously I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um I don't expect or want Baylor to be in much four or five wide this game, just because I think it exposes the offensive tackles to pass rush in a way that I don't know that they're ready for against Oklahoma state's really good defensive ends. And so, yeah, the idea that they could line up in bigger sets in run sets where you only have, you know, Taekwon and RJ or Taekwon and Estrada on the field, knowing that Oklahoma state's going to allocate nine, nine defenders to the run game. And you're basically going to get one V one shots to either of those wide receivers yeah, I think that, that – <laughs> I like that a lot more than Baylor spreading them out four and five wide.
1: Yeah, and I – I mean, we probably will see a – if, if – one thing I will say, we will probably see them go into 10 personnel if they really want to just do man, like if that's really all they want to do. And that's that's what they want to do against Oklahoma in the first half when Knowles, you know, they, they wanted to – you know, there's a – I'm laughing because I can hear the coach saying this in, the, in our head, which is basically, we're going to do what we do, which is we're going to line up, we're going to we're going to hit them. Well, they tried and that in the first touchdowns. half. <laughs> yeah, they tried that in the first half, and they got smoked. So, you know, if they're going to come out and try that hyper-aggressive, like, pure man across the board, everyone's, you know, every every corner person is in, like, a mega alignment where it's, it's man everywhere he goes. Like, if they're going to come out and do that, then you kind of have to go into four wide, to be honest. Like, you can't. You can't really get away from that, but that's if you know that's that's coming.
0: That's not really uh, my understanding, at least, is like a lot of teams like they might run man against eleven or twelve personnel, but the moment that you push out into four and five wide, that's when they push into their zone coverages, right?
1: That is that is usually the case. The thing that really stood out against Oklahoma is they they didn't really do that. Like they now they didn't run press man, but they still ran man because they thought they thought they could basically get to Williams and um, do that. And what Williams was able to do in that first half really well was he's able to step in then off of his back foot kind of wafted up there into one-on-one coverage. And, you know, they're made
0: things easy for him,
1: made things, made things real easy for him. But you know, their, their corners are not, they're fast. I haven't ever, I, they don't seem like necessarily great contested catch point type of guys, um, and so they got, you know, they got mossed. Like <laughs> so they gave them a touchdown. They got mossed. That's that that happened a bunch in that game. And of course, they came out in the second half and they did what they should have done, which was they just ran Baylor's game plan. And you know, Oklahoma literally scored nothing in the second half offensively. <laughs> I mean, just I literally, I,
0: I messaged I messaged you during the game, and I said, you know, I literally could not imagine being an Oklahoma fan watching this game on TV. Because there is nothing worse than just watching your quarterback sit back in the pocket for like six seconds. And you can't see what's going down on downfield because you're watching the game on TV and just being like, throw the damn ball, like do something. But there's just it, it was a feeling of helplessness. And I met and it, kudos to the broadcast, because a lot of times when they showed um, they showed the back end, they showed the coverage and you were like, oh, I see why he didn't throw the ball there, because <laughs> everyone was covered. Everyone was covered. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it'll be it. so. Yeah, I think that will be something interesting to watch early on. For um, uh, well, let's try and kind of break this down a little bit more systematically. Okay. So, so you were just mentioning how, okay, bigger sets, but throw the ball on early downs. Is there a way that Baylor can manufacture some run, some run, some run game in this game if Oklahoma State's safeties are triggering hard on the run? I mean, I think the answer is no, Yeah, (laughs) with
1: with GB, the answer is maybe with shape and the answer is no.
0: Right. Yeah. And and that is my central um, question for this game. I think I've said that like four times already. I have lots of central questions for this game. Um, but a big one here is without the Shapen is a good athlete and he's very clearly good when he gets out on rollouts and when he scrambles, he is not a designed backside runner in the same way that GB is. He it just isn't there. And so that's the thing to me to watch is GB gives you kind of multiple outs. If, uh, if Oklahoma state is not respecting the pass game, you could still potentially hit them on some backside run plays with GB. With Shapin, it very clearly is okay. If he does not hit these passes, Baylor's going to score 10 points. Um, if that, if that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they won't, they will not be able to move the ball if Baylor cannot, um, if, if Chapin, uh cannot uh, make them pay. And, you know, obviously, I think he will be able to to some degree, but I think the big question is can he, can he hit five big plays without also throwing two interceptions? Or can he hit five or six big plays without taking three sacks also? Um, because I think anytime you run a scheme like what Oklahoma State is doing, you're, you're giving something up. Uh, but you just have to hope that uh, it's kind of the same thing as with Baylor, what they're going to do against Sanders. They're going to give some stuff up um, downfield, and he's going to make some plays. But they're also banking on the fact that he's probably going to throw two interceptions. And I imagine Oklahoma State is thinking the same thing against Chapin.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. Um <laughs> You know, if if if, if a, a common defensive coordinator strain, you have probably heard broadcasters say this before, is if it's if it's a young quarterback, you want to heat him up, and yep. if it's an older quarterback, you don't. So, I think that they're like, I just can't. If they went after Williams that hard, I can't imagine mm. that they would go after Shapen any less. Right? And I yep. just they they're going to come like they're going to come after him, and they're going to make they're going to make Baylor beat them in the way that Oklahoma beat them. I just I – don't, I don't really see another way around that in the first half. Yeah. I wish I wish it was different, to be honest. I wish he would do something, you know, kind of dumb and, like, you know, <laughs> maybe, like, run a bunch of zone and, like, try to suffocate him down. But – and it, to be honest, that's probably what I would – if I was him, I would probably be more apt to do that and try to heat up GB on passing downs. But it, against Shapen, like, send him. Like, just send yeah. him and see what happens. And I think that's – because, you know, that – I think that's just what, I think that's the plan for them. And that's what I would do if I was them. Yep. Um, so you've got to, yeah, like that, you've got to figure out, you've got to be able to know what they're going to be able to do and how you want to be able to attack that. So and to me, one,
0: yeah. I was just to say, one reason I've become more optimistic about this game over the past few days than I was is if you go back and actually kind of look through Baylor's season, and I know you've been very keen on this, Jeff, is that, Jeff Grimes has been really, really good, actually, as far as Baylor scoring a lot on their first possession of the game and especially on their first couple possessions. And a lot of it is because he with their self scouting, they very clearly break a couple tendencies early on in the game, usually to hit a couple of big passing plays. And I think that this is a game to where if Grimes can come up with three pass schemes to run on the first three drives of the game, to where Baylor could potentially get to ten to fourteen points after a couple of drives. That really changes this. I mean, like, talk about a total opposite from the last game. the 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 difference between going three and out on your first two drives and putting together a couple of huge drives is obviously massive. I mean, no fan needs me to tell them that. But I uh, I say that because I think Grimes has proven. If you actually go back and look at the drive charts from from the games all year he's really, really good at manufacturing some yards early in the game. And if you look at the plays that he's using, they're very clearly new installs for that week, or at least running plays they have previously, but from different formations and different looks that they haven't shown previously. So I think that'll be something big to watch is can he get shapen to hit something downfield early on something that's comfortable, that isn't too risky, but that has the payoff of really getting them down the field.
1: Yeah, I mean you saw that against Tech. I mean they did that I, they remember when they I mean they put uh, Abner out wide and they got, you know, the flowing mane of a linebacker on him. And, you know, ball went up and I mean that was a touchdown. I mean, it was it was a very they that a classic like here they've schemed this up, they're ready to go, like, let's get this out. I think you're hundred percent right on that. Like they Baylor, particularly of shape and plays, um, you know, he this is his this would be his second start. um crazy (laughs) it's it's you know it's it's crazy like your second sharps your second start is a big 12 title game with a potential playoff implication on the line depending on what happens like right there um like they're going to have to figure out a way to get points in the first three drives like they need at least seven points in the first three drives because they cannot like if it's if we're looking up and it's like seven minutes into the second quarter and baylor's doesn't have anything yet um that's really bad news because yep. the, you know if you're if they're through their script and they haven't been able to generate any offense and they don't really have an off speed pitch to handle the blitz, you know there there just aren't a lot of options. I mean that that was kind of one of the issues that we we talked. Um, I went back and randomly saw I was wondering what my mood was, so I went and read my tweets during the game from this. And one of the things I said is like about midway through the third quarter, I said this game is probably done because they couldn't figure out how to handle. A specific, you know, a specific look that Oklahoma State was getting them. And it wasn't quite cooked, but it was more or less cooked. I mean, the Smith run was honestly probably won't that, – that run won't happen again in terms of giving up a gap like that on, on fourth and two. Um, so, you know, it's – if they can't break them out in the first few drives, then Baylor's going to really struggle to score, particularly if it's shaven. And I just – I don't – you know, I just – you can't put you can't put a kid in his second start out there when you're down by like two possessions with five minutes left in the third against that defense that's blitzing like crazy. Um like that's a recipe for like
0: three
1: yeah. picks in the second half. And it yeah. just yeah.
0: And especially when, you know, you're your your five or ten new installs for the week that you very confidently told them are going to, are going to work. Apparently didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, uh, all that to say, I think these first few drives for Baylor's offense are going to be critical for me. It's never necessarily as much about, about points. I mean, obviously like the game is about getting points, but it, to me, it's more like, you know, some crazy stuff can happen with, you know, if Baylor has a really successful drive, but then has like a bad holding call or something like that, I'll feel better than if they flukely get the ball down the field. Right. Like it's, it's, it's going to be about seeing how they adjust and, and, and what they bring to the table for the game. So yeah, it'll, it'll be great to watch the, um the beginning of the game, because I think it's going to set the tones on both sides of the ball. And why don't we flip to uh, talking about when Oklahoma state has the ball.
1: So yeah, uh, defensively, what are they going to do? Um, I think, I think they're going to do what they did last time, which is uh, the Oklahoma game plan, which is tight with quarters. Um, that's much more conservative, uh, but it worked. I think, you know, it, it when you look at what they did on a on a down to down basis. Uh, they held up pretty well. The, the the areas where they gave up in the run game, I think, are addressed by better defensive performance and by having Bernard back and being able to play Jones where he should be, which is at the jack on the line. So they played a lot of five man fronts in this game, but they still played quarters even on like first and five, even on third and two. Like they stayed in quarters a lot. They did not want to give up. Um, they didn't want to let. Um, Sanders really kind of have easy reads. I think that was a, I think that was something to, a, a point of emphasis going into the game was if we simplify the game for Sanders, he could beat us with with when he doesn't have to think too much. When he's got process a process of more complex coverage, um, or when he's got to fit the ball in tight against man coverage, that's a much more difficult thing for him. And so they just they rolled out and they played a lot of quarters. They played a lot of pass coverage, and.
0: Could you explain to people, Jeff, why is it that playing out of two high and why is it that basing out of quarters makes it easier to um, muddy the read for the quarterback as opposed to playing with a single high safety?
1: Sure. So typically when you have your out, your outside receivers, your X and your Z, okay, um, and there's schematic differences between the two, um, but at the end of the day, your X and your Z are typically going to run more vertical routes, Okay, so when you run a one-high, you run what Nick Saban calls a middle-of-the-field closed. I think he's the first guy that came up with the term. Um, It's called MOFC, or the opposite of that is MOFO, M-O-F-O, which is middle-of-the-field open. Um, That is the most fundamental unit of pass coverages. Are you playing a middle-of-the-field closed, which is a one-high, a three-high, or in a pure prevent a five high but you know that gets run like literally three times a game um are you running a one or three high or are you running a two or four high okay and that the reason going back to your original question like why is it easier to why is it more difficult or easier to muddy the reads which is when you have a, when you're playing a one high um that person unless you're doubling. Well, I guess we can start there. If you're playing a one high, then one of three things are happening: either that person is literally just playing center field, or he's doubling someone, which means that someone else else is there. No one else is there, and and someone's got a one-on-one. So it's you know you can kind of look. Typically, when you're sending routes up the field from your X and your Z, you're going to get you're going to get a vibe very fast. Are you going to be able to hit a vertical route? Which in college a lot of there's a lot of benefit to throwing on the rail which is on the sidelines because you can it's a lot less likely to throw an interception if the ball if it's an overthrow the ball's out of bounds i mean this was the basis of the art browse offense which was throw it outside and you throw less picks um but you know if, if you can get the ball up the field like that it makes it a lot easier because you can't really cap those you can't cap two vertical routes from a one high it's It's just not possible. So you you typically in a one hive, like you're going to get a lot of match zone coverages, particularly from Miranda because they run what they call one rat. But if you if you want to simplify for them and Sanders does, that means the ball's going to go vertical. They want him to read top down. They don't want him to read bottom up. So if he's reading top down and there's one person in the middle of the field, really you know they're only running like one or two route combinations beyond 10 yards. You're running you're running a nine or you're running a post. Like that's that's really it, you know. In the NFL, you run, you know, you run a whole bunch of stuff, but in college, you're running a go route or you're running a post. That's really it. Um, maybe a maybe a slot fade um, as well if you're running out of uh, eleven personnel, but that's that's really the extent of the passing game for most college teams. So, if you're going to be running something like that, um, if you're running quarters, however, it makes it much easier to really disguise what you want to do because there are so many different versions of uh, really zone match quarters quarters often yeah. gets used as a quarters is, is a little bit that it's a term that's it's an overloaded term to use a programming terminology um, it's an overloaded term in that it defines there's also there's a specific play that's called quarters but quarters is also used as an offhand for most uh, split safety. Coverages. And so for most split safety coverages, it's usually a three over two and then a two over uh, three over two and three over two or two over one, um, which is your backside. And so out of quarters, you can mix and match frontside backside coverages. And that happens a lot. Like you play two read to one side and you play Connie to the backside. Or you play. Seahawk, which I know that's crazy. Yeah, that's a really weird coverage. It sounds like I'm making stuff up, but you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. And all these, all these different guys have different terms for this. Um, but you can mix and so match those coverages, and it I makes it much more complicated.
0: Sorry to interrupt you there, Jeff. I think specifically how that applies to Sanders is he's very clearly a guy. It's like he almost threw a pick against Oklahoma to where it was like you could tell that his post-snap read wasn't what he expected it to be. And it almost felt like you could see him recognize it, but he couldn't stop himself from throwing the ball. And um, it's, so it seems like he's a guy to where like, anything you can do to make um, him have to kind of do any post-snap processing the more likely it is that you're going to get him to make a crucial uh, mistake. And so just lining up with two safeties back at the snap, as opposed to just that one, just kind of gives a lot more variables that he has to consider. And just, um, and so even if you're opening, giving up things in the run game, giving up things in the QB run game, you make it a lot more likely that he even makes a catastrophic mistake, which is ultimately Baylor probably needs a couple of big mistakes from him uh, to win this game.
1: I I think that is, I think that's very true. Um, a thing that you'll see from him a lot and this is very clear in the Baylor game as well which is he's going to he's going to make his pre-snap read and then it's not always clear that he even reads the field because they've got a specific play call for that on and so he's just kind of going through his his top two progressions and then trying to tuck it and run and he doesn't if, if the play call is different than what he's expecting, it's not always clear to me that he's even reading the field. He's just going through his progressions on the on the suggested play. So um, that, that, that's definitely like a point of emphasis for them. One thing that I would be worried about for Baylor is, you know, when, when you sit in that too high, you're basically kind of looking at a QB run game and just going good luck. Yep. I mean, you're just giving it to him because you don't, if, if you're going to play even numbers, once the quarterback comes into the game,
0: it's not even anymore. It's not even
1: anymore, and you're, you're, you're just down. And so you're going like you're going to give up plays. And so they ran, I think, probably about five total option plays in the game. I think they picked up eight to 12 yards on every single one of them. Um, and Baylor just – well, they have one play where they didn't do it, Now I'm thinking about in the first quarter. But Baylor just kind of gave that one up and said, you can have that. Um, same thing on rollouts. You know, when they would do rollouts, they just – let him have it. Like, if you wanted to take off and run for seven or eight yards, they took off and run for seven eight yards. Um, it will be interesting to me to see if Oklahoma State tries to exploit that in this matchup. Can they well, come they up did with it ways? last
0: week? They did it last week against OU. They ran him a ton.
1: Yeah. And I, I, what I, my assumption is that they will because it's the Big 12 title game. It's not a home game at the first yeah, of
0: October. Well should. Yeah, <laughs> you're
1: you're gonna you're definitely gonna empty the bag. So um, this it, it does seem seem to me like there's gonna be a lot more matchups in this. But once you start running him, you really kind of um, you're kind of if you know it's one thing to have a few hitters. To commit to the run in that way though really is going to change a lot of what they want to do in the pass game because they don't want to spread it out and let him run. Like if they're going to run him and out gap him, like they're going to go into the their heavier sets and they're going to try to hammer the edges and QB power. Well, you can do that, but you know, can Baylor's Jacks hold up on the edge? I think that they can. It's not how I would attack Baylor to be honest, but um, you know, it's, it's something that you kind of have to commit to because once you start showing those looks from a formation basis, you can't, it's really hard to throw out of that diamond formation that they run. Like you can't, you know, you still have anybody deployed on the line. So if you've got three guys in the backfield, plus the quarterback, I mean, there's just, you can't get guys deployed out into the field. So it's just, it's just, it's just hard to throw out of that. So if you're going to commit to that, like you better be really sure that you can execute it consistently and you're not going to get swamped on an overload. Um, I don't, I don't know that they can, but it's definitely something that I'd be, I would be worried about. Um, and that that to me is the biggest, that to me is the biggest issue that I do worry about in this game, though, is how do they how do they handle the QB run game? If it was me, I would try to keep doing it. I would not go out of the power sets against Baylor. I think that Baylor's weak points are the secondary, I think. I don't think they're in the front. Um, I would not, particularly with I, I don't think this o, the OSU offensive line is as good as some of the ones that Baylor has faced in recent weeks. Um, so I would not, I would not feel, I would not feel as confident trying to go big and get up uh, and to go big against Baylor and trying to kind of run the ball down their throat. I think they're going to have to figure out more of an option game um, and some stuff like that, which is where I think they're very dangerous on the edge.
0: Yeah. So we talked a lot about with when Baylor's on offense, that if they can't make OSU pay for crashing those safeties down with just some first down pass plays, um, there's not a lot of, there's basically zero options for what Baylor can do to move the ball. If we expect that, and again, this is kind of the caveat for this entire discussion. If Baylor's defensive front plays the way that did did against Texas Tech, they're not winning this game, and it might not even be close. So I think both of us are kind of just assuming that they return to the form that they showed for the past, you know, six weeks prior, essentially. Um, so my my really my going basis- back to the
1: BYU game. I'll, I'll say this: the BYU game from a run defense, like they really took a step forward against BYU. I thought they played significantly better in that game and then the pass rush got better after TCU and then there's you know Oklahoma and Kansas State that front was outstanding yeah. so if they're even close to what we saw in the two games prior in there then it's a totally wrong but yeah let, a big caveat for that if they play like they did against Tech it's that it, it's, it's, over. it's over like you can go ahead and, yeah. you know go out and hang your Christmas lights whatever you want to do on
0: Saturday <laughs> so so assuming you know the base assumption for me is like I mentioned earlier, their running backs probably aren't going to get more to, more than 60 to 80 yards this game. So to you, um, the big answer to that to watch is the QB run game to that. That is the kind of the clear alternative for when that doesn't work. But then you're saying you think that might hamper what they want to do throwing outside. So why is that? Why uh, out of a bigger set, you know you still have two wide receivers out there what is it about running those bigger sets that makes it more difficult for them to kind of still attack downfield if they want to do that
1: well it, it's it's not so much necessarily going big it's how they go big they go they don't they don't put guys on the line when they go heavy they they prefer to keep guys in the backfield
0: and so yeah that those diamond formations those diamond,
1: diamond formations you know, they do a lot of like three in the backfield so they'll do you know they'll do they'll do uh, 22 personnel or they'll do 12 personnel And three to four guys will be in the backfield with them, like off the line, you know. And there, there are big advantages for that in terms of um, being able to do inserts in the run game, inserts in the run game, and eye candy for linebackers and all of that's there. But the trade-off for that is you can't get guys out. Like you can't, you can't. And when I say that, you can't deploy a guy off the line through the offensive line and defensive line. Like somebody's going to grab him. Somebody's going to bump him like that person's just not going to get out so really the only two people that you have to worry about in that case are your x and your z and your outside guys and so if you if you if you shrink it down to a diamond it makes it really easy to i mean you're only going to call in college you're only going to call really two routes out of or three routes you're going to call a stick route you're going to call a go route and then you might call a post depending on whether it's middle of the field, open, or closed. But if you only know it's going to be three routes, it also makes it a lot easier to play man coverage because there's only three routes. (laughs) So you can play in a bell, you know, depending on the down and distance, you play in a bell technique and you guard against going up the field. Um, Or, you you know, if it's like third and two, you play play press, try to keep him uh, up close so that they can't just get an easy first. But long story short, like, it really simplifies what the wide receivers can do realistically. You know, you're not going to run trick plays every play. Excuse me. You're not going to run a trick play every play. So, if they're going to go heavy, I think it limits their ability to really attack attack downfield because they just can't get guys out. Um, that's not the case necessarily for Baylor, but for the way that they want to structure their run game, it is.
0: Okay. So, if Oklahoma State gets to 27 points this game or gets to 30 points this game, how do you see that happening?
1: Uh, are we? Well, I will say this: we'll take we'll take. Um, turnovers out of it like
0: yeah of course
1: that's kind of easiest way to say like you know there's a pick six or there's a turnover and there's a 10 yard field like that that's an easy way to generate extra points but you know removing those easy points I actually don't think there's a way they get to 30. I I don't I I don't I I, I
0: agree
1: I I, they you know barring an injury barring barring something that is not a normal path in this uh, Baylor's high point for the year is what did they give it to TCU? Th- 31?
0: It was like 31, yeah. 31. Exactly.
1: It, Oklahoma State is the second worst offense in the Big 12, more or less, I think. It's right. At their, maybe.
0: And their style is the antithesis of what we saw of TCU against Baylor, too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I just, they don't. You know, they're not they're not as good as Texas. They're not as good as Oklahoma. I don't think they're as good as West Virginia's offense, though at this point they probably are better. That's probably not fair. Um, but they're not as good as Texas Tech was. They weren't as good as uh, BYU's, certainly. Um, when you look back at like what they've done, at Baylor's worst defensive performance was uh, Texas Tech, I think, mm-hmm. just because of— by, not, far. by far. They only gave up 24 points to that, and that offensive team is better than Oklahoma's. Yeah. Or Oklahoma State's, excuse me. So I, I just I don't think they can get to thirty, barring a lot of crazy turnovers. I think that they're probably capped at like twenty four points. So you know if they get an extra point after that, then if if you know if they roll up thirty one to thirty five, I'll be very surprised. I will.
0: Okay. Um, well, let's jump into our our um, predictions at this point, and I think we kind of hit a lot of granular aspects. So when we're doing our predictions here, why don't we? Kind of try and give an overview of how we our, our overall sense of the game, the feel for the game, and how we think kind of either unit's going to do against the other. You want to start, Jeff, or do you want me to go first? Okay. So, yeah, I was feeling a lot more pessimistic a few days ago, mostly because I was very kind of curious and questioning how Shapen would do against a defense that is this fast, aggressive, and sound. And I don't mean that all of those questions have been ameliorated and I'm just feeling great. Um, But I think what's really turned around for me is that I feel a lot better about Baylor defensively against Oklahoma state than I remembered rewatching the game, just knowing that Baylor's defense is playing so much better now than they were when they played the first time. And the fact that Oklahoma state still barely kind of did anything against Baylor in that first game means a lot. And also seeing the fact that Grimes clearly, it seemed to me that he understood what Oklahoma State was doing, and they called a lot of really good plays, but they just weren't in that rhythm of the offense to execute at that time, like we talked about. Um, I think turnovers are just like, not to sound like every other announcer that just talks about turnovers every game, but it's true. Like Whenever you have two teams that are super evenly matched, they're going to play a big factor in this game. I think it's pretty fair to expect at least two turnovers from each quarterback. It just seems like a, a decent bar at this point. Uh, so you just kind of hope that Shapin doesn't throw four, <laughs> and that, uh, or at least if he does, at least Sanders throws four also. Um, but yeah, I just think that this is going to be a game where maybe both teams kind of jump out and get points on the board early, and then there's like no scoring for like two more quarters, and then it kind of comes down to a tight fourth quarter. Um, but ultimately, I think Baylor's a few points better at this point, and I'm going Baylor 24-20. Um, I'm excited for the game. It wouldn't a lot of results wouldn't surprise me, except for kind of like what you were just talking about of Oklahoma State really getting up towards like 30 points or so, barring to- a bunch of turnovers. But um, yeah, that's where I'm at at this point, and um, that'll put Baylor in a really interesting spot if they do win, as far as uh, you know, potential Sugar Bowl or, or excuse me, that would definitely be Sugar Bowl a potential playoff, but. Where are you at, Jeff?
1: So I think that I think I'm pretty similar to you. Um, I think that the, the if I were to say what this comes down to, the I, wow! I just got an ESPN notification that the largest scoring margin in NBA history happened tonight. Um, I think it was Memphis versus uh, Memphis versus Oklahoma City, but I don't know if that was the who it was. Um, there goes okay. Um, so let me restart on that. You know, I think. I think what this really comes down to, to me, is mm-hmm. which quarterback throws the, the the fewest number of interceptions. I think that really is if if you had to pick like a single, a single thing, the one thing that you were to look at, look at who, particularly if it's Shapen, who throws the least picks. Um, is it is it Shapen or is it Sanders? Whoever does that is probably going to end up with the win. I think that um, Baylor's going to have to be aggressive in a few spots. Um, they're gonna they're just gonna have to be like they they can't we've talked about this a few times now like they can't they can't just sit back and let them pressure them to death and just suffocate them out through the end of the game they have to be aggressive at certain points um, and I think one of the things we have seen is that they're not going to I don't think they're gonna change the stuff that they want to run in the passing game just because um Chapin's back there as opposed to GB I mean they were that first play that first series when when he when shapin was in against Kansas state they went for it like, fourth and four on his first series. And I mean, like fourth and six, I mean, like I don't even I was like, okay, this is a little bit much. Like <laughs> <I'm okay. laughs> um, I, am I, I, even I was like, okay, like let's, let's hold on here. Um, so they're going to, you know, they're going to run their stuff. Um, I think what I, like fourth and six, I yeah. think it's kind of like you, I, I would anticipate some points scored in the first couple of possessions by both teams.
0: <laughs> I believed, um, I believed
1: one thing that, that, <laughs> Gundy likes to do a little bit more is, and this was evident in the game. He likes to call plays at high high. He likes to call his personal script really in high pressure situations. So, particularly in the zone when you're like between the thirty and between the the thirty and the fifty for them, that's when they really want to dial up the like custom deep shot play action. Their second touchdown was a specific quarters beater that they they put in. They ran it on a first and ten from like the thirty five, got a touchdown. Um, th- so Gundy is going to try to deploy those in high leverage moments as opposed to necessarily getting through the the initial script. Um, If Baylor, I would, I would expect, I would expect Oklahoma state to get somewhere between like you, I think it's somewhere between 17 to 23 points. Um, That seems like a very comfortable margin to them. I don't see them being able to establish a run game. I think that they are going to be able to live off of um, bursty plays is probably the best way to describe it. Like, one out of one out of five plays is going to go for seventeen yards, and the other four are going to go for like zero, one, minus four, and five, or something like that. Um, so and they'll, you know, they they're going to be able to ride that offense to at a certain point. they I'm sure there's going to be yeah, at least I one agree. bust. It always happens in these games. Um, but I, I just I don't see them getting over twenty, really over twenty three. Like I, I, when I was watching it again today. You know, I kept coming back to I don't, I don't see how they get to really twenty, and I that's that seems very aggressive, but I I don't think it is, particularly when when you look at how what Gundy wants to do from a play calling perspective, if they're suffocating, shaping, and there's not a lot they can do, Gundy's not going to open it up with Sanders. Like I mean, he knows he knows who Sanders is, and that's one of the reasons why he's been so successful. He doesn't ask Sanders to do stuff he can't do. So if they're in the lead. They're just going to run and try to chew clock. They, they're not going to try to stretch the lead. They're just going to try to get out of there because he knows that they have a one point win. They're in the they they are in the playoffs and they've won the Big Twelve title. So he just wants he wants to score yeah. three points yeah. and then run a fifty eight minute drive and be done with it. Um, so um, I think that it, it that that's that's kind of the flow that I would expect. I would be my hope is that Baylor my hope is that Baylor can hit some shots in the first quarter. And then adjust <laughs> after half to whatever they're doing primarily, and be able to establish some sort of running attack in the second half and grind out twenty-one points. Like if they can, if they can get to twenty-one points, I think they've got a real good shot. If they get to thirty, they're gonna win. Like I think that's probably, I think that's probably pretty fair. Um, I how they get to twenty-one is probably a combination of. You're taking a bunch more shots than you would want, so you, maybe you are getting a, more, a few more three outs yeah. But if you connect on like one or two of those, you're all of a sudden you're in field goal range. And if you connect on two of them, you got, no. you got six. No. So I think there's going to be a lot of I think there's going to be a lot more of that, um, more shots, maybe less of a step trying to establish the run at least in the first quarter until they know what they're trying to do with the front, um, how they want to attack their guys, and you know that's it. I will say it in my head, it's going really well. If Baylor has over 14 points in the first half, it's going really, really well. If Baylor, if it, if you look up and it's the seven minute mark of the second quarter, and even if Oklahoma state has not scored yet, Baylor has like three points. That's a bad sign. Um, I think that's 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 really what it's like. Baylor's going to need to be able to get a lead. I don't. The one thing I don't is unless GB plays, and even if he does, I can't imagine he's going to be full strength. I don't see how this team like does what they did against Oklahoma and UT, where they know how to establish their pitch, they can kind of grind it out, wear them down for different reasons, but kind of push out into the second late into the second half in the last twenty minutes of the game. Um, I don't think that's going to work against Oklahoma State. Um, There, they just. Yeah. Yeah, opposite defensive structures and you don't you really don't if it's shaping, you really don't want to put your your QB in stress like that. Like you need to be a, even if you're sacrificing some of your plays for later, you gotta let him get comfortable two and firmly so he's not defensive feeling the stress in the too. second half. Yeah. Like that is that's where the game can really if Baylor's down by more than two possessions at any point in the second half—it's definitely like huge danger zone. Because even GB struggled to get back, get it back when they weren't able to do it, but they were able to get something together in the second half of the first game. With Shapen in his second game ever, like it just—that's that's probably too much to ask. So yeah, they they need to they need to get going early with them. I think.
0: Yeah.
1: I think I'm gonna say. Twenty three twenty Baylor. Yeah. I think they will figure out a way. I think they will figure out a way to get like your ten prediction? in the first quarter, <laughs> and then like just grind it out from there. I think that's really what that's what I think they can do, and I I have faith. I've got faith in the defensive staff. I got faith in Grimes. I, like those kids want to be there. They were there. A bunch of them were there two years ago and didn't get it. Like they know how big this is. they they want it. More than any fans ever wanted yep. this. Like they want to win the championship. Like that. That's a thing. Yeah, I, it just. Well, I mean, particularly once you've seen it the first time, like, and I think that's it. Like rewatching it, like, I just. It's you know funny maybe we're both idiots and it's a 39-41 game like may, maybe that happens like now all of a sudden like the ball's going up ever everything's flying all over the place it's a
0: monster in this game. I just so, particularly it's with shape thing.
1: and being in like I just 80% of the game like if you play this game 100 times like 80% of the games look like both those teams just kind of like <laughs> grinding down to in the second and third quarter and then seeing what happens in the fourth like I just both both staffs want to play it the same way both staffs want to protect their QBs both staffs, um, both staffs that want to attack their QBs in, same, in the same way, so that means that they want to protect their QBs in the same way. I mean, like it's just it's all it's all there. Like it's different structures, but it's very similar right, in terms I mean, of philosophy, in terms of like how they want how they want to uh, approach it from game management standpoint. So, um, and you know that for us, like um, S P S and P plus, I think was like twenty five, twenty four Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, excuse me. And so yeah. you know, I, I think everyone kind of knows what this game is and barring Bedlam, sorry, can't help the pun barring like something crazy happening. Like that just, that seems where we're at. And I'll, I'll say it's going to come down to, I'll say it's 21, 20 Baylor fails a fourth down conversion to ice the game like they did against tech and Baylor's defense has to make the stand to win the game. Um, and their defense, you know, they they were really the driver for so much of the season, like their defense pushes them over the top. So that that's my prediction.
0: Awesome. Well, I've got a few more things before we run out. I know we just did our predictions, but just a few quick hitters before we get out of here. Um, fourth downs are really interesting in this game because actually Gundy and Oklahoma State have been – one of the most conservative teams in all of power five, as far as when they they go for it. And I think a lot of that is just what they have in Spencer Sanders or, or more aptly what they don't have in Spencer Sanders and what they don't have in their offensive line. So he just really doesn't go for it very often polar opposite of Baylor. So in a very close game, I think you could see things swing on Baylor, getting some crucial fourth down fourth downs and extending some possessions that Oklahoma state might not be able to extend for themselves. And I just kind of wanted to finish here, Jeff with I guess maybe a most important player on both sides of the ball. Um, I'll go with mine first, or, or maybe, yeah, you know, whatever. However, you go, you go you, first. No, no, I was just to say, however you want to define it. Uh, I don't think Ben Sims is the most important player on either side of the ball, but I think Ben Sims and Taijuan Thornton are two major players to watch in this game because I think Baylor's going to get a lot of ISO shots, and what I mean by that is just where they scheme up, you know, their receivers, and I'm counting Sims as a receiver here one V one versus Oklahoma state defenders. And you know, that Grimes is going to scheme those up. Um, and I, so I think both of those guys are going to be called on to make big plays in crucial moments. Um, and defensively, I think it really just all starts up front. They looked pretty soft last week, which makes sense with apparently they were doing with the flu. I think Gabe Hall, Cole Maxwell, Apu Ika, those guys need to have the game of their life. That way they can um, basically not have to do too much to stop the run. So who are you looking at as a couple players on each side of the ball in this game?
1: Um, the guards, Miller and X and J, um, and I'll I'll signal out Miller specifically in this game as well. Like um,
0: Baylor's right guard for pe- for just right guard.
1: Like, yeah, Yeah, I guess not everyone's you know, like I'm trying to remember numbers and stuff off the top of my head. Not everyone's as big a dork as me. Um, if they play if they play similar to what they did, particularly with Shapin, is not going to be good. Yeah. They they have to be better. And they had, you know, quarterback pressure to QB's feet is death. Like, absolute death. There's a reason the pocket looks like it does. is because they, you quarterback has to have a place to step up into. And if Shapen doesn't have that, it's going to be a very long day. Like, it's going to be a long day already. And if those guys are not able to hold up, then it's going to be an even longer one. So, offensively, they would be my two most important guys. Um, and one of the things, in addition to that, like, we've talked a lot about this in the past, and this was also true against Oklahoma. Their guards the guards haven't played as well as they haven't played as well against even fronts as they had against odd fronts, and that means they're covered up. When they're able to get when they're able to have space and they have angles and they can get up on on linebackers, they've played better than when they are um, dealing with speed across their face. And, you know, that's that's the task against Oklahoma State at speed on the line. So they they, they have to play better offensively. Um, defensively, I'll say I think it's Bernard. Um, you know, he didn't play in the first game. They, the defensive line is going to be able to hold. is, is going to be able to put the linebackers in position that they should be able to absolutely eat. Um, I mean, they, both those guys should have like 12 tackles plus at at a bare minimum. I mean, they are going to be all over the place.
0: Um, well, and the big thing with Oklahoma State, too, is that their running back, Jalen Warren, is so good at meeting guys in the hole, yeah. and very similar to Abram, and, and getting another yeah. three yards. So it's really going to be on Bernard and Doyle to make sure that it's second and nine and not second and five, because that is just a massive difference in a game yeah. like that. And I,
1: I think, yes, that's a 100% right, because that happened all the time, by the way, in the first game, which was contact three more yards and second and six versus second and nine or first down instead of third and three type stuff i mean that happened all the time in the first game so uh, i would i'll say bernard like he needs I, I know that he's i know that he wants to play well you know uh, after last season and being out and then not being in the first game against oklahoma state i'm sure that he is all kinds of fired up to be in this he is um he's a stud and i i, I think he's going to perform i i'm if if GB was if I knew GB was healthy I would be probably predicting a, a more comfortable win I think to be honest um, but he's not and so the defense has got, defense has to go into this knowing like if we yeah. give up more than twenty we probably can't win the game
0: yeah. so you know you know it's funny the last time Bernard played against Oklahoma State he iced the game with that fumble recovery uh, back in. Uh, in Stillwater back in yeah. 2019, so because he didn't play last year or this year. So, yeah. Anyway, um, anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Jeff?
1: No, I think that's it. I will say, um, nah, I can't. I'm, I'm trying to think. I was like, "Do I make a? We we'll don't make a playoff comment, but no, I don't want to jinx anything. So, <laughs> um, I'm just going to leave it be. All
0: right. Well, Jeff yeah. is at uh, 23 20 Baylor winning, and I'm at 24 20. So I guess we're just trying to be as close to win- one another as possible. But both of us are expecting a. Uh, a the the quintessential extremely fun but also um extremely stressful. tense and stressful game but yeah. that's that is the best football right i mean blowouts are fun in one respect but you know there's nothing like just watching two evenly matched teams go at it so hope to see y'all on saturday um jeff thanks for joining me again i know that people enjoy it uh, and it's been a great season
1: absolutely i mean, i hope i'll be talking to you before the ball game or the playoff game